0: If you want to join me in the Gospel of Luke chapter 11, that's where our uh, text will be this morning, Luke chapter 11. The Bible says in Luke 11, verses 1 through 4 will be our uh, text for this morning. And there God's Word says, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word thank you for its clarity and I pray today in Jesus name that that you'd open our eyes to its practical applications for our lives in September 2014 here in Rocky Mount North Carolina help us to see very clearly that there is no clearer spiritual indicator of our health in our walk with the Lord Jesus Christ than in our prayer life father there is no strong mature believer among us who is weak in prayer just as there's no weak or shallow follower of jesus who is strong in prayer father help us to understand what prayer is and the place it has in our lives In many ways, Father, we're praying for this same request the disciples had, that you would teach us to pray. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a very cursory and quick glance at a couple of scriptures will will, uh, highlight something uh, to you. So so we're in Luke 11. I just want you to flip back very briefly to Luke chapter 9. And we're going to read a a series of three, four, five verses uh, just so you can see something that Luke has very clearly pointed out about the Lord Jesus. It says in Luke chapter 9 verse 16, we're going to read these verses and we won't comment uh, individually on the verses. You'll just be able to pick up pretty readily on what's going on here. In Luke 9 verse 16, the Bible says, And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Luke 9 verse 18, now it happened as he was praying alone. the disciples were with him. In Luke chapter 9 verse 28. Now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James, and he went up on the mountain to pray. Luke chapter 10 in verse 21. and the same hour he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. And then Luke chapter 11 in verse one. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of the disciples said to him, "Lord, teach us to pray." As John taught his disciples. Now, that's just a few verses from the immediate uh, chapters that we've been reading, and, and we could have made a much longer list, but if you were reading along with me, obviously you saw in your Bible this simple fact that Jesus was constantly praying. There was never a day that went by that Jesus did not pray, uh, there, there was never a, a, a moment, very likely, that he was far from prayer. Jesus prayed constantly he prayed as he broke the bread and the feeding of the 5,000 and then what we also see is that Jesus very frequently withdrew from crowds God by himself to pray so on the front end let's just give a very simple definition of prayer prayer is undistracted talking and listening to God it's as simple as I knew how to to write it or to say it so I'll say uh, I'll say it one more time Prayer is undistracted talking and listening to God. Uninterrupted times to be with God. And I do believe it involves both talking to Him and listening. Anybody that you talk to, isn't that how you communicate with Him? Right? You you talk and then you also listen some in, in return. So in this definition in mind of prayer being undistracted, talking and listening to God, we do want to ask on the front end, if you are in your own life in the habit of doing that, in the habit of spending undistracted time both talking and listening to God. So what we're aimed to do, we're we're going to study this text this Sunday and next Sunday. Our aim today is to be uh, extremely practical, just to take some practical suggestions from the life of, of Jesus, um, and, and uh, uh, hopefully be able to walk out of here today with everybody in the room being able to say, I, kn- I know what prayer is, and, and then as we go along together, I know how to pray. There are going to be some requirements of you if you're going to pray, have a prayer life like Jesus did, and I just have to tell you on the front end that it's going to make you a little bit out of sync with the pace of the culture we find ourselves living in, in 2014. I want to emphasize here in my introduction the word undistracted. We live in a very distracted culture, don't we? A a few uh, Saturdays ago, my four year old daughter Priscilla asked me about three or four times in the course of a morning for me to take a walk with her. And, um, I, I uh, had a few things on my to-do list, and, and so she had come up to me a couple of times, and I would very gently but clearly said, no, I don't have time to do that right this moment. And then there came a moment, if you're a dad, you know how it goes, that this little four-year-old pitter-pattered up to me, tugged on, uh, tugged on my uh, pants leg, and looked up to me with those giant saucer blue eyes, right? And said, Daddy, can you take me on a walk? And, and I had one of those moments where I said, what am I doing? And of course... Uh, let's put these things to, to the side. R- remember last week, by the way, we're talking about undistracted times of listening and talking to God. Remember last week, Martha, anxious and troubled and distracted, that verb literally in the Greek meaning, pulled away from listening and spending time with, with Jesus. Uh, uh, so so I, I started to walk with her, and about a quarter mile into my walk, I realized that I had left my cell phone at home. Now, now, you know the days in which we live, how hard it is to find time where you're undistracted. The amazing thing to me when I realized that I did not have my cell phone with me is the number of times I usually keep it on a pocket somewhere that I started to reach for it. Just sort of out of habit to, to look at a message. or. Uh, uh, so, so what I realized is, um, man, I, I'm constantly distracted by this little device that beeps all the time with... Messages or texts, phone calls. Many of them aren't urgent. Some of them are. And you know what? I realized she and I just had the best time together. I really started to listen to what she said. I I realized when I got back, I had left my phone at home by accident, and decided the next time maybe I'd just leave it on purpose. Back in the spring, I heard this story, and I looked it up this week. It, It was on National Public Radio. It was a report given by uh, a lady named Dr. Jenny Radeski. She's a pediatrician. She specializes in child development. Here's one of the things the story said. When she worked at a clinic in a high-tech, savvy Seattle neighborhood, she started noticing how often parents ignored their kids in favor of a mobile device. She remembers a mother placing her phone in the stroller between herself and the baby and she says the baby was making faces and smiling up at the mom, but Radeski says the mom wasn't picking up on any of it. She was watching a YouTube video on her phone. She was so concerned that she decided to study the behavior. She relocated to Boston Medical Center, and she and two other researchers spent one summer observing 55 different groups of parents and young children eating at fast food restaurants. Many of the caregivers pulled out a mobile device right away, she says, and they looked at it, scrolled on it, and typed for most of the meal, only putting it down intermittently. She says that's a big mistake because face-to-face interactions are the primary way children learn. They learn language. They learn about their own emotions. They learn how to regulate them, she says. They learn by watching us how to have a conversation, how to read other people's facial expressions, and if that's not happening, children are missing out on Listen to this, important development milestones. You know, before long, we're not going to actually know how to have a conversation with one another any longer, are we? Children develop or uh, miss out on important development milestones. And so so what I'm getting at is... (laughs) Not only do you have to have undistracted time with your children, but as a child of God, you have to have undistracted time with him. The good news is that, that God doesn't text, and he's not going to be distracted. If there's a disconnect, if there's a distraction between us and him, it's, it's not on his side of that equation, it's, it's on ours. And the child of God who doesn't have undistracted interactions with God is also missing out on, we can use the same phrase, important Developmental milestones. This is true of those born again who do not take time to pray. You'll never mature in your faith if you don't take time to to pray. You'll be at the same maturity level spiritually a year from now as you are right now if we don't learn how to pray. And I think that's what the disciples realized. If you flip back over, we won't go into great detail. In Luke chapters 8, 9, and 10, the disciples themselves make misstep after misstep after misstep, didn't they? They're distracted. They're angry. They're competitive. They're powerless. You remember a person brings uh, uh, his his boy who's demon-possessed, and the disciples can't do anything, and Jesus comes down from the mountain. You remember what he says? This kind can only be driven out how? By fasting and prayer. The 5,000 want to be fed, and the disciples want to send them away. And so, what we're able to do is, on the basis of this request in Luke 11 1, we're able to look back and say, These disciples haven't yet learned how to pray. So, they see Jesus praying all the time and much power in his life. So, they make a pretty logical conclusion. We need also to learn how to pray. Do you pray? Do, do you know that you have to be taught to pray? Did you know that it doesn't come naturally? It doesn't, a, a switch doesn't go off one day and you just say, I know, I know how to pray. We have a nine month in our home. You know what she's doing right now? She's learning to talk and, and she doesn't say much. In fact, she only says one word. You know what the word is? Dada. So she learned a great word, doesn't she? Uh, I, I like to think that she knows it's me, but she calls everybody dada. So we're, we're, we're learning. You, you know what the Bible says in Romans 8? It says that, We do not know how to pray as we ought. But then, uh, I'm paraphrasing a little bit. The the Lord gives us the Holy Spirit as he teaches us to pray, and he teaches us to cry out. You know what it says? Abba. You know what that word is? Dada. Abba. Father. A, A child who's truly been born again, just like a baby who's truly been born, will begin to learn how to call on the Father But there are hindrances to prayer. And so, for the sake of practicality, let me give you a couple of hindrances to prayer and and then just not point out the hindrances, but to point out a way to be unhindered in prayer. And we pick up from this with Jesus. It says, uh, verse 1, chapter 11, now Jesus was praying, look at this phrase, in a certain place. Jesus went to a certain place. Jesus had an appointed place. Place for prayer. And you know what was true of that place? It was a place apart from distractions. Apart from distractions. Do you know that it's not easy? It wasn't easy in Jesus's day, and it's not going to be easy in your life to find a place without distractions. You, you, you just try this out of the course of today, you see how long you can go without being bombarded by some sort of media message, an advertisement, visual, audio, somehow, some... When you walk out of here, you're going to constantly be... Things are going to be screaming at you for attention. What you have to do is you have to find a a certain place. It's it's been my experience that if I really want to cultivate a time for prayer... I have to find a certain place. Now, it's true, we're not trying to get some sort of legalistic obligation on our part. It's true that you can pray anytime anyplace. any place. Is that true? You can pray anytime in any place. Do you know it's also true that you can exercise anytime in any place? But you usually don't, do you? You you, you usually Now, now I uh, usually when I say I can exercise anytime I want to, do you know what I'm actually saying? I don't really exercise. And it's also true when we say, you know what, we can pray anytime, anywhere. Usually, usually you don't pray anytime, anywhere until you've cultivated praying in a certain place. Jesus went to a certain place to, to pray. Do you have a certain place? Now, let's, let's get real practical. Right now, I want you to think of a place in your home, in your life, somewhere where you could go to remove yourself from distractions. Jesus talked about this. You can turn here if you want to in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has picked up the subject of prayer. And he says here in Matthew 6 verse 5, And when you pray... I want you to notice every time Jesus talks about prayer, he doesn't say, and if you pray, he doesn't say that in Luke 11, and he doesn't say it in Matthew 6. He says, when you pray, it's just assumed the follower of Jesus is going to pray. When you pray, you must not like, be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and in the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room. That Greek word translated room, it's talking about a a small place. Sometimes it's translated closet. It's talking about an undistracted place. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Do you see? Jesus is saying a hallmark of spiritual health is private prayer. Prayer that takes place when nobody else is around. Prayer that takes place when nobody else sees except who? The Father sees. The Father sees and the Father knows. You see, every person in the room this morning has a secret prayer life. Either it's vibrant or it's perhaps not existent. Jesus says, when you pray, you go into the room and you close the door. Can I give you some practical, perhaps if he's saying this, you leave your phone behind. You don't pray in front of the television. You don't pray with the... Radio blaring and so on and so forth. Again, not legalistic expectations, but when you really want to talk to somebody, you have to remove them from distraction. I went to lunch the other day with, with a person and we, we were at, seated at a table for 45 minutes and we did not have a conversation at all. Do you know why? About every 30 seconds, his phone beeped and he looked down and I was in the middle of a... Uh, uh, you can't talk with somebody. Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, this... Anyway, okay. <laughs> right now... I want you to think of a place in your house where you could pray without distraction. And for some of us, this is not going to be easy. It wasn't easy for me. It might be be your closet. I know that might sound strange, but to go and shut myself up in the closet. Think, think Think of a place where you could be removed from distraction. It doesn't have to be a large room or a large place. Just a place where you can be removed from distraction. Have you got? Have you got it? I, I mean, really? You don't have to shout it out. Have you got it? Now, let me tell you something: God will meet you there. Isn't that amazing? You say that's not a nice place at all. No, that's okay. Th- think about the places Jesus has stood in these chapters. <laughs> in, the, in the last three chapters we've studied, Jesus has stood in a rickety boat. He stood in a graveyard. He stood in a desolate place. It does not have to be spotless and clean. He's not he's not coming to clean up your room he's coming to clean up you and the space he desires to occupy is not actually the room you meet him in it's you so so first a hindrance one hindrance to prayer is that we have no devotion to a certain place for prayer so one simple thing I want you to do before you leave is I want you to identify in your mind here's a place I could go to to pray. Jesus went to a certain place to, to pray. Second, we have a, a second hindrance is we don't have a certain time to pray. So let's be really 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 specific and for for a moment when when do you pray? When do you pray? Oftentimes, we can say, when we do this, you you, you, uh, students can say, when do you have to leave for school? And you can immediately say, here's a moment. When do you leave for work? When do you eat lunch? When do you leave from work? Now, boom, 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 boom. We've all said that time. We need to be able to be just as specific about when do you pray? Because if you don't establish a certain time, guess what's going to happen? You're likely not going to pray. Now, I know immediately there comes to our mind, many of us have already thinking, I don't have what do we say we don't have time to pray we don't have time to pray now here's here here uh, here's what i want you to do for anybody who thinks we don't have time to pray here here's something you can do tomorrow morning at 6 30 in the morning i know it's kind of early 6 30 in the morning i want you to get in your car and i want you to go to 301 and i want you to go to the dunkin donuts okay and you know what you're going to find there a long line of cars do you know why you're going to find a long line of cars there now if you love dunkin donuts i'm not I'm, hey I'm not a coffee drinker, but I got, you know, I like Coca-Cola. So we've all got our thing, right? But you know why people are there? Because they've determined that a cup of Dunkin' Donuts coffee is so important that they're going to get there early to get their cup of coffee so they have it on their way to work. Well, they've, they've determined, here's something that's really, really, and it's not just Dunkin' Donuts. I'm not trying to be too, some people, you go to the, you go to the gym tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. You're going to find people there. Why? They said, this is so important. I'm going to be here at this at this moment. Is it is it crazy to think that the same applies to praying? Is it is it a wild idea to think the same applies to to our prayer life? Jesus went to a certain time. Now, now here's where um, it got a little challenging to me because I started to notice something in the Bible about the certain time to to pray. I want you to look at a couple of verses with me. Look with me in Mark chapter 1. So if you're in Luke, just turn back one book. Mark chapter 1, verse number 35. Mark 1, 35. <laughs> this again, speaking about the prayer life of Jesus. Mark 1, 35. And rising, you ready for this? Very early, in the morning. You know what? Honestly, I wish it just said early in the morning, but they had to put that word rising very early in the morning while it was still dark. He departed and went out to a desolate place where he prayed rising very early. When did Jesus pray very early in the morning? And, and just one simple statement here. Um, (laughs) he's not telling you to absolutely go without sleep. But if you're going to get up very early in the morning, doesn't this make sense? You have to go to bed at a reasonable time at night. If you're going to get up very early, he's not saying stay up till 1 a.m. and then get up at 3. But, 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 but he says very early in the morning. Well, if it was just one place, maybe we could overlook it. Look at Psalm chapter 5, verse 3. Psalms is a right, usually right in the middle of the Bible, so if you just open about midway, you'll find Psalms. and Psalms chapter 5, verse 3. The psalmist, it's the psalm of David, he says, O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. Still in Psalms, go to Psalm 119. Psalm 119, verse 147. Psalm 119, verse 147. Yeah, there are a lot of verses in Psalm 119, right? Psalm 119, 147. I rise before dawn and cry for help. I hope in your words. Now, (laughs) there's also Luke 24 verse 1 by the way where it says uh, on the first day of the week at early dawn they went to the tomb Uh, on the first day of the week being Sunday the the interesting thing is we uh, we adopted Sunday as the day of worship we just didn't adopt the very early in the morning right we don't do worship service at 6am but uh, uh, I'm not a morning person anybody with me anybody here you say I'm absolutely not a morning person the alarm goes off and I immediately get angry anybody like that how can it already be the morning. I'm not a morning person, but you know what I've learned? God is. God is a morning person. And what I've learned is, uh, <laughs> what, what I've learned is, if, if I'm going to go to a certain place, just hear what I'm saying. Again, I know I've said this about a half dozen times already, not legalistic obligation, but the certain place, and then there's a certain time, and the Bible seems to tell us very clearly the best time is first thing in the morning. That leads me to ask the question, Why? Why? And and the answer is those first hours in the morning set the pace, set the priority, set the expectation for the rest of the day, don't they? Um, We never know what a day is going to hold when we get up. We have no idea what, but we do know who holds the day. And so a good habit to cultivate is to allow the one who holds the day to get a hold of you at the very beginning of the day. A certain place, you got to have a certain place and then you have to have a certain time. And the best time is early in the morning. The good news is most of us don't have anyone texting us at 6 a.m. It'd be a little easier to remove yourself from distraction. Now think, think about your prayer life Here's one thing that I want to encourage you with. Think about your prayer life. We're all over the spectrum today. We've got, we've got some people here today that truthfully, when it comes to prayer, it's sort of non-existent in life. When I asked you, when do you pray, you, 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 you don't really have a time because right now it's not part of your life. And then you have some other people who uh, you, you pray a little bit. You got a little, little bit of time of prayer and you try the first thing in the morning. And, and then we've got other people who are praying a right good bit. So my encouragement to you is where, wherever you are on the spectrum, just think about taking the, the next step. If you don't pray at all, it, don't, it, uh, it might not be a good idea. Just like, uh, hey, if you, if, you, if you haven't run in a little while, you probably don't want to sign up for a marathon on Saturday, right? It's probably not going to be a good idea. But you might say, I could run a mile. Maybe. I could probably couldn't even do that. But wherever I am, I just want to increase a little bit of my devoted, undistracted time for prayer. Not praying at all, I'm going to establish 15 to 20 minutes a day. If I'm at 15 and 20 minutes a day, I'm going to bump that up to 30 or 35 minutes a day. And then, and then here's just something that somebody taught me that I found very, very helpful. Every day, pray some. Every day, find some time to pray. Every week, find an extended period of time on a day to, to pray more and then every month find a a day that you cultivate that that's going to be even more does that make sense every day some every day i'm going to pray some every week i'm going to take a morning a couple hours on a saturday morning or 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 whatever it may be sunday would be a good day wouldn't it be awesome if you you prayed for an hour before you came to the worship service and your perspective was already christ-centered and those sorts of things and and then every month take some extended time here's an idea for for you husbands and wives take take a date night now we live in Rocky mountain you probably you 've probably uh, eaten everywhere there is to eat you 've tried them all right you 've been to ltap you 've been to oh you just you know, take take a night where your date is you 're going to get undistracted time to pray for your children or for your family for your church for the nations that 's going to be what you what you undistracted time to pray together so so you have to have a certain place then you have to have a certain time and Third distraction or hindrance rather is we just have to say with the disciples we don't really know how to pray because here's what can happen. Here's what can happen. You walk out saying I'm going to have a certain time and a certain place. You establish the place in your home and then you get up very early in the morning and you go there and then you sit there and then all of a sudden you realize this is awkward and I don't know what to do. And you prayed everything you knew to pray about and you looked at your watch and three minutes went by. Uh, not too long ago, I was invited to go play golf, and I didn't go, and you know why? It's very simple. I don't know how to play golf. I don't. I I mean, I've seen it. I I know the concept. The last time I went, I was about 17 years old and went up to Hickory Meadows, and I got my uh, golf club, and and I swung it as hard as I could, and on the backswing, the club flew out of my hands. This is a true story. And it went, it launched way up in the air. And I can still see it in my mind. It was doing this twirl thing. And if you've ever been to Hickory Meadows, right behind the golf range, you know what sits there? The parking lot. And and so I began to follow the trajectory of the golf club. And it was heading right towards this nice, look, brand new truck. And I said, oh, boy. And and I can still, and that thing clambered down and landed about a foot from the truck and just kind of came skidding to a stop. And that day, I pretty much decided, well, golf's not really for me. Now, now listen, I know the concept of golf. I, I get it. You're hitting the golf ball into the hole. I understand that. I've heard of Jack Nicklaus. I've heard of Tiger Woods. I've heard of Phil Mickelson. I know the Ryder Cup has been going on this week. I, I, I know about golf. But if somebody invites me to go play golf, I'm going to say no, because I don't really know how to play. And that's exactly how a lot of people feel about prayer. You, you know about it. You've read in the Bible that Jesus prayed, so we ought to pray. But when it actually comes to setting your feet and getting the club out, you, you just confess, I don't really know how. Now, if I got out on the golf course today, I'd feel awkward. I'd feel uncomfortable. I'd feel like the people who are getting ready to come after me, I would just tell them to go on ahead. And, and that's, some, some people say, I don't, I don't want to pray out loud. I don't want to pray in public because of the same reasons. You don't really know how, and it feels awkward and it feels uncomfortable. And even though you've got the concept down, you know, it's undistracted and unhindered talking and, and listening to God. But for me and myself, I don't really know how how to do it now if I were to play golf you know what I would need I would need somebody to come along and teach me how to play you know what I do like I love putt-putt as a matter of fact I mean not in I'm pretty good at putt-putt I, 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 I get my little putter out and if it's got an obstacle or this I know how to bank it in I know I mean, I'm and, and many of us we we, we kind of pray putt-putt prayers it's kind of a watered-down, shallow imitation of the real thing if we, if we ever try it at all. And, and God desires so much more for us when it comes to our prayer life. I just have to tell you, if, when we talk about prayer, if it comes to your ears as the most boring and undesirable way to spend your time, then you have no idea what prayer really is. If the concept of talking to the living God isn't it amazing that we're impressed with all the technology of our day and yet have the opportunity to speak to the living God, and we prefer to watch the ball game over prayer? I think that stuns God <laughs> in some ways. He says this in Jeremiah, they've chewed out cisterns for themselves, cisterns that can hold no water, and they've forsaken the fountain of living water. Be appalled, O heavens, be utterly desolate that people would choose what they choose over, knowing and believing and trusting and walking with me. And the good news for the disciples is at least they'd seen and heard and been around enough that they said, would you please teach us how to do that? Teach us to, to pray. So, um, so let, let, let me just offer a way to pray. Again, not a uh, dull, boring, here's a little four things. To, this is how somebody taught me to pray. This is how somebody taught me to pray when I was in the seventh grade. In the fall of 1991, I didn't know anything about anything. I just knew I'd been born again. I just knew that God had come in my life. I can't remember coming to church and being nervous to go to youth group, fearing they'd ask me to look up a Bible verse. Because I had no idea. I, I could I could no more have turned to Luke 11 like I asked you to do when I was in the 7th grade. I had no idea. It was Luke in the Old Testament, Luke in the New Testament. Only Luke I knew was Luke Skywalker. When they, I, I can't remember somebody asking me on a youth retreat to look up the book of Job. And I had no idea that there was a book of Job. I, I thought it was job. I really did. I thought there's a job book in the Bible, and that must teach you how to work. That's what I figured. I didn't know anything about anything. And I sure didn't know how to pray. I just knew you should. So I'd try. A- a- and then this married couple came to a, what we called in those days youth discipleship class on Sunday nights at 545. I was eager to get there, mainly because Julie was going to be present. And, and then they taught a simple acronym a-C-T-S, A-C-T-S, Acts. And, and I've used it for the last 23 years on how to pray. So I'm going to give it to you. Again, you want a certain place, you want a certain time, and then a certain way to, to, to pray. Just like Juliana's learning to talk at our house, we've got to learn to talk to God. A-C-T-S, each one stands for something. Obviously, that's what an acronym is. You didn't need me to tell you that. A stands for adoration when you begin to pray you start with adoration what does that mean praising god for who he is praising him for his attributes for his character take time to learn the names of god he's revealed who he is through his names he's lord he's redeemer he's merciful king he's the resurrection and the life you you take time to speak to him and know who he is Giving praise to God for who He is. You lift up your eyes from your flat screens and your smartphones and see God in His glory. Adore Him as Creator, as Redeemer. Soak up His Word and learn what it says about Him. Here it's really helpful to spend time reading the book of Psalms. one, One preacher often says, read the Psalms, it'll teach you how to worship. Read Proverbs, it'll teach you how to live. So read the Psalms. Learn what they say about Him. Not so you can regurgitate and just memorize some lines, but so you can see God for who He is. So... ACTS start your prayer with adoration C stands for confession confess your sins and your shortcomings did you know that in the Bible anytime somebody's truly in the presence of God they reveal two things he's he's beautiful and glorious and holy and righteous and I'm not Isaiah the godliest man of his day when when the presence of the Lord filled the temple he said woe is me I'm a man of unclean lips I live among a people of unclean lips Confess your sins, confess your temper, confess your anger, confess your lust, your jealousy, your sinful and hurtful words. Confess you don't feel like praying. Sometimes you have to just say, Lord, I know I should be praying. I'm in a certain time, in a certain place, and I I, I I don't feel like praying. It's not like he doesn't know anyway, right? Confess you're anxious and troubled about many things. Confess... Confession is not simply admitting sins; it's also asking God to remove them and replace them with godly, Christ honoring character and habits. First John one nine: If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to cleanse us of all our sins. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know what a serious hindrance to prayer in many of our lives is? Is we're just tired of confessing the same sins over and over again. We feel like, God, I've confessed this a thousand times. Now, don't fall for a double lie, the lie that first led you to sin in the first place, and then the second lie, which would suggest that God doesn't want to hear about it anymore. That's not true. Some of us have been, Lord, I've confessed this a thousand. but, But again, confession is seeking not just to say, God, here's what I know is sinful in my life. It's also pleading with God to replace it. The Bible says, put off the old man, be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new man. So start with adoration, and then, and then C leads to confession, or C stands for confession. That leads us to the T, A, C, T. A T is thanksgiving. Thank him for his blessings. Examine your life and see where he's provided for you, for your health, for your family, for your church, for Jesus, for your salvation. If you're having a hard time thinking of things to thank God for, <laughs> we've got our spiritual blinders on adoration confession thanksgiving and and then s is supplication that's simply a fancy word for prayer requests but it's got to start with s so that's it's also a bible word do not be anxious about anything but by prayers and supplication make your requests known to god now interestingly enough whenever we get together to pray we often skip over the a the c the t and go right into the s that's prayer requests right When's the last time, when's the last time you were with a group of believers and you were going to do prayer time and, and the question was asked, what do you want to praise God for? What attributes do you want to glorify him for? We don't normally do that, do we? How, how about this? Well, what do you want to thank God for? We always skip to the S, the supplication, the, the request. I have to tell you, there is a place for supplications, clearly. If all my children ever did is come up to me and ask me for stuff and, and trust me, there have been some days they have. That's not much of a relationship, is it? Now, we see these modeled in the Lord's Prayer. He says, When you pray, pray this way. He's not necessarily saying just use these words, although it's perfectly fine to pray the Lord's Prayer. Just don't turn it into words you memorize but aren't really believing. Once you start with, Hallowed be your name. As a matter of fact, if you read that prayer, everything in the rest of the prayer, flows out of that statement hallowed be your name what's he doing he's adoring god the father hallowed be your name you see also in that prayer forgive us our debts forgive us our trespasses and and then don't stop there not just forgive but help us to forgive others who've who've sinned against us there's thanksgiving there and, and and then there are prayer requests what's he what's he pray for lord two 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 things give us our daily bread and lead us not into temptation. So you need a certain place to pray. Have you got it? Have you figured out? Here's a certain place to pray. You need a certain time to pray. Very early in the morning is the best time. Uh, But instead of being overly dogmatic on the specific time to pray, just we want to be more clear that you need to take time to pray. And then you, you want to have a certain way to pray. Some people think prayer needs to be unorganized and, un, and unstructured, and that's not necessarily so. It's okay to have some structure to your prayer time, not some rigid script you're following, but just an idea of here, here's, how to, uh, here, here's a way to, to pray. Jesus gives them a model to follow. Sometimes when we think about prayer, we say, well, I just want to be loosey-goosey and free to pray. If you want to be free to pray, uh, you, you, you have to learn the structure. An illustration I often use with Cindy over here on the piano. Cindy is free to play whatever she wants to play on this piano because she learned some rules and regulations about music, right? If you're free to play, it doesn't mean you just come over here like I would probably do and just bang away on the piano, and it doesn't really make any music, right? Now, if you go ask Cindy and say, we do this every now and then, and I'll come up with, can you play this? And, and i have watched her, and she stops, and she kind of thinks for a moment, and then it just comes out, right? Because she's free to play it because she's learned, and, and that's true of prayer, you want to be free to pray, free in your prayer life? Learn some structure. I adore him, I confess my sin, I'm thankful, and I give supplications. Let me give you a quick list, a quick rundown of reasons this week that you won't pray. I've got five of them. Reasons you won't pray. Reason number one is pride. We won't take time to do it, but if you turned over to Luke 18, 9 through 14, you'll see a proud, arrogant, religious, hypocrite of a Pharisee who goes to the temple and prays. And his his prayer is full of self-praise. And then there's a humble, repentant sinner who won't even look up to heaven. And his prayer, as he beats on his chest, is, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says, that man went home justified. A praying heart will always be a humble heart. The number one reason we don't pray is because of pride. We don't think it's necessary. Number two, Number two reason we don't pray is because of sin. There's just no way around it. I do want to read to you Isaiah 59 verse 2. If you're taking notes, you won't jot that one down. Isaiah 59 2. Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Sin will keep you from prayer or prayer will keep you from sin, one way or the other. Again, sometimes we get tired of confessing the same sins over and over and we conclude that God doesn't want to hear about it anymore and that's a lie, don't believe it. So, so one reason we don't pray is pride. Two goes right along with it. Sin's always present where pride is present. Third is a religion religion with no relationship with Jesus. That was the Pharisees, and all their prayer was for show. In fact, when Jesus said, "Here's how not to pray," he looked at them. Don't be like the Pharisees and the religious or or, or, the scribes of the Pharisees. They think they'll be heard for their many words, their lofty phrases. They stand up on the street corner. All their prayer was for show. Number four is broken relationships. It's an interesting statement I want you to hear. 1 Peter Chapter 3, verse 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Not lesser vessel, just weaker vessel. It's talking about physical strength. Most of the time, if a husband and wife have an arm wrestling contest, the husband will win. Not every time, but most of the time. But look what he says. Since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Isn't that interesting? Broken relationships can hinder your prayer. Because when you pray, it's it's speaking to God and listening to him. And if you've got a broken relationship and you're really listening to him, you know what he's going to say? If there you're giving your gift at the altar and they remember your brother has something against you, leave your gift at the altar. First, go be reconciled with your brother and then come and give your gift. If you set up a certain place and a certain time to pray and there you start praying, you know what he's going to probably say to you? If you've got a broken relationship, I'm glad that you've set up this certain place and certain time to pray, but we need to get up and go and restore a broken relationship. Broken relationships hinder prayer. I mean, you're praying to somebody who did everything there was to be done to to reconcile his relationship with you. And what sense does it make for us to sit there and try to pray to him when we're not willing to do the same? And then there's the old enemy named busyness. Martha, Martha, you remember? You're anxious and troubled about many things. Only one thing is necessary. I encourage you to carefully consider these things. Jesus went to the cross. He suffered in our place. He shed his blood so that our sins could be forgiven. Therefore, there is now no separation for those who have faith in Christ Jesus from God any longer. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith... We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in conclusion, you need a certain place to pray. Have you, have you figured it out? A certain place? You need a certain time to pray. A certain way to pray. And when all those things are established, you need to be mindful about specific barriers to prayer. I'm just going to read them again. And, and maybe by the Holy Spirit, he might reveal... Some in your life. Is there pride, sin, religion without relationship with Jesus, a broken relationship that needs to be restored, or simply busyness? Where there's little prayer, there's little power. Where there's much prayer, there's much power in our lives, in our families, and in our church. Would you stand with me for a time of invitation? Bow your heads with me. and When we have an invitation at Calvary Baptist Church, we're simply inviting you to respond to the word of God as it's been proclaimed. A healthy question to ask during every invitation is simply, Father, what is it you want me to do in response to your word? Is there an area of my life you want me to do something? Or to do something differently? Or to stop doing something? How's your prayer life? There's no clearer indicator of our spiritual health. Again, not, not legalistic, man-manufactured prayer, but God-centered, Christ-exalting prayer. Father, would you lead our invitation that we would view prayer not as a burden, but as the single most glorious opportunity we have I I pray father that we would be able to apply this message very practically in our lives we thank you that you'll meet us in certain places and they don't have to be fancy places it doesn't have to be a a nice sanctuary like we're privileged to stand in this morning it can be our car it it can be a cubicle at work it can be our closet in our house because, Father, it's not a place so much as that you want to occupy as it is us. We're, we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. And, Father, help us to cultivate a certain time. Father, help us to not be a people who the culture's constantly making our schedule for us. Jesus was not that way, though it required very early in the morning for him to get up and go to a desolate place at times or a certain place, to be undistracted. And and God grant us humility that we'd be willing to be taught how to pray. Reveal any hindrances, be they pride, be they sin, broken relationships. Religion that really isn't based on relationship with Jesus or just a busyness and pace of life. Lead our time of invitation. Help us to respond in a way that's humble. pray in Jesus' name, amen.